We are live, folks. We are live. The Biden administration is scrambling to get something accomplished before the midterms. Their latest attempt is at a uh, latest attempt at a piece of comprehensive legislation is labeled the Inflation Reduction Act. And despite the name of the bill, the legislation is far more to do with uh, energy policy and increasing taxes than reducing inflation. Also, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis seems to have entered the fight against ESG. We're going to be talking about that and more in episode 357 of the In the Tank podcast. Welcome to the In the Tank podcast. As always, I am your host, Donald Kendall. And uh, joining us for the first time since episode 343, back in late April, Justin Haskins, editorial director here at the Heartland Institute. How are you doing today, good sir? Uh, I'm I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I've actually been uh, listening to the show occasionally when, um, you know, I have absolutely literally nothing else to do. Um, in particular, there was one time, uh, a couple of weeks back when I was driving across country because of course I'm, I've been moving and, um, I was driving through the mountains of West Virginia streaming in the tank podcast, uh, on my phone mm-hmm. through YouTube. It was pretty amazing. It was cool. Technology is amazing. I thought, I thought the show was, eh. It was okay, but, um, that was the week. Yeah, well, obviously that's what, that's why it was just okay. Um, but yeah, no, the, the, uh, the show has been great. You guys clearly don't need me. Uh, but, uh, here I am. So (laughs) also joining us, we have Jim Lakely, VP of the Heartland Institute. How are you doing today? Good, sir. I'm doing great. Uh, I was the one hosting that show when uh, Justin was uh, navigating the mountains of West Virginia, which are beautiful, but really rough on yourself and your car. I've driven that. Uh, I've driven all the way across the country twice, and I found it easier to get over the Rocky Mountains than it was to get over the Appalachian Mountains. Those are mm. tough, man. And so uh, I'm glad to know, Justin, that my soothing voice as host and uh, and commentator here on the In the Tank podcast helped you not crash. Yeah, yeah. Your rants is what kept him awake during those. <laughs> it was. <laughs> Long was. Hours who needs driving. who needs caffeine when you have Jim screaming at you through the <laughs> down system? Uh, yeah. So we do need to catch up with Justin. Like I said, it's been a while since you've been on. Uh, but first, before I do that, I will put that message out there to our audio only listeners who are probably catching this show on a Friday that you can catch the show a day earlier. If you join us live on Thursdays at noon central time, we'll be streaming on Facebook and Twitter and Rumble and YouTube and all of those things. So you can join in the conversation, leave your comments and uh, questions in the in the chat there. And uh, maybe we'll pull your questions up, address them live on the show, or we'll put your comments on the screen, something like that. And also, uh, because we have two separate channels for this, and you can watch it on Facebook and Twitter and all of those different things, the you might be chatting on something, whereas someone else is chatter, chatting on a different platform, and you're not seeing what each other are saying. So uh, to in, in order to kind of skirt that idea, 
if you want to participate in the chat, maybe you should go to the main Heartland Institute YouTube channel. That way you can see all of your fellow commenters and talk to each other and we'll get a little bit of a community going there. But I will say that the reason why we have multiple YouTube channels is because YouTube said that we're going to destroy your channel if you talk about too much controversial stuff. So in an effort to not censor ourselves, we created the In the Tank podcast channel on YouTube. So if we're going to be talking about something that's a little bit more controversial and might have that threat of us getting our channel nuked, we're only going to host the show over there. But on a show like this, where we're talking about the Inflation Reduction Act and some energy policy stuff and ESG, it's probably safe to say that you could have your your discussions going on in the chats uh, on the main Heartland channel. Um, but let's get uh, let's get into the topics because we have a lot of stuff to talk about. Uh, but first, like I said, we gotta we gotta catch up with Justin here. So, Justin, the last time you were on the show, like I said, episode three hundred and forty three aired on April 29th. On that uh-huh. episode, we talked about Elon Musk saying that he was going to buy Twitter. So that's how how long ago that was. Wow. Uh, so what's been going on since then? Uh, we've got. Uh, well, first off, first off, wh- why you've been so absent? What, what's going on, man? Uh, what isn't going on? I think that's I think that's the proper question. Um, I have decided because this is the way that I live my life to jam in the most the biggest life changes I possibly can into the shortest amount of time conceivably possible to uh-huh. maximize stress because that's <laughs> that's when I get really good is when stress levels are really high and you, right you know it's like the level right before you have a heart attack you you just back that down a little bit. Right. That's when you're at the top of your game, right? So uh, all sorts of things. My wife and I adopted a baby, uh, Theodora. We call her Teddy. She's incredible. So that's been probably the, the biggest life change. We don't we don't have any other kids. So uh-huh. this is kind of our first time around the block. Uh, Donnie knows all about that because uh, <laughs> he's got a fairly young boy. Um, and so, uh, that's been, that's been pretty time consuming moving across the country. My wife starting a a new job. Um, so it's been literally across the country. Let's not, let's not understate that from, uh, from one coast to the other, (laughs) like literally 3,000, 3,000 miles, almost exactly 3,000 miles, uh, between towns. So drove it in four days, just me and the dog. Um, so it was, uh, it was a lot of, it was, it was actually, it was interesting. (laughs) Yeah, and Jim Rance. That's Jim right. was there yeah. too. <laughs> I'm your co-pilot there, not just the dog. That's right. Yeah, and it was it was really incredible. Um, I I have I haven't done any cross country trips before. I spent very little time on the West Coast, uh, which is strange because now I live there. But um, I uh, I was really blown away by certain things. One was uh, how really actually beautiful Iowa is. I thought Iowa was, I imagined Iowa to be very different than what it was, but it was lots of rolling hills and green and it was, it was beautiful. Um, Nebraska, terrible, just a horrible. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm sorry if you're living in Nebraska, you like the show. I know you guys love freedom in Nebraska, but God, I don't know how anyone lives there. So that also, um, and Utah when you go to Utah, it feels like you're in Mars or something like mm. uh, it, like it's like a foreign planet, that right. place, but in a cool way. I mean, I really mm. enjoyed that. So um, there were some other stories that I could tell from the road, but probably not appropriate for this show. Uh, but uh, it was oh, all in all uh, interesting to see 
many different states and and to uh uh, you know, especially in the summer, because I just I, I think in the previous long trips I've done, it wasn't in the summer. It was it was, it was gorgeous. America is a massive place. Oh, yeah, it really is a massive place. And you don't realize it till you spend 45 hours. <laughs> hours in the car and you still haven't reached your destination. Yeah. yet. Right. Yeah. Well, for, for, uh, by the way, Justin, uh, female Kansas City, Casey Royals fan uh, lives in uh, Nebraska. And, and uh, so way to go. You've just alienated one of our regulars here. So uh, <laughs> female Casey Royals fan, uh, you know, this will be the last time Justin will be on for at least a month. We'll put him on suspension for that. That's right. Uh, saying yeah, that. So, so it looks like you're getting all set up there. So hopefully you'll be uh, joining the show a little bit yeah. more regularly like you used to, but uh, uh, but you know, we, we understand. We understand. Yeah. So, uh, what's been going on uh, in the podcast realm since you've been gone? Since your last episode, in the time you've been gone, we've covered the following topics and more. Obviously, uh, the SCOTUS decision on Roe versus Wade being leaked that that happened uh, in the time that you've been gone. God, the man. the rise and fall of the Ministry of Truth, gas prices hitting all time highs, the Davos twenty twenty two conference, raging inflation. And our latest poll results on the Constitution, the Supreme Court, and America. All of this stuff we covered extensively oh. in the time that you've been gone. So that just wow. kind of gives you a sense of how long you've been absent from this show. Well, the good news well, for so Justin When was mostly... the last time? April 29th. Wow. Okay. Well, the, the good news for Justin is most of that bad news still remains. So, you know, <laughs> That's these right, are yeah. ongoing yeah, topics. I mean... So I want you right, to comment exactly. on all of these items very briefly. I know that you've, uh, <laughs> you know, you've been preparing your notes despite the fact you're not on the show. So yeah. uh, let's just go off one by one. Just <laughs> your response to all of these items. I honestly don't even remember anything that you just said. So no, you're going to have to geez. read through them one by one if we're going to actually comment no, on them one by that. one. We're not going to. Yeah, do I didn't. That. Think so. I, didn't uh, think so. We, I, we, I will say this: Have we found out who the Supreme Court leaker is yet? Nope. We haven't, right? No one nope. knows. Can't it's figure been 90, that one out. I just yeah, I saw this too. I thought it was 93 or 95 days and still no word. Yeah, there was a That's conspiracy going amazing. on in our comments section that it was you, and that was the explanation of why you were gone so long. But yeah. Uh no. Pretty sure it wasn't <laughs> me. It, look, if it's been 95 days and they haven't released who the leaker is, it's because they know who the leaker is, and releasing the name of the leaker is worse than not releasing the name of the leaker, period. Yeah. That's what I think. It was probably. What do you want to bet that it was probably one of the Supreme Court justices themselves? I think there's a good. There's at least fifty fifty like, chance of that. I think it was like Sotomayor just decided. You know what? Screw it. I'm going to call the whoever. You know, some reporter I know or whatever, and I'm just going to leak it myself because I think this is a disaster. And who or who knows what? Whatever. The point or, or is, a or a justice authorized the leak. They told their yeah. clerk, "Go ahead, do it." Yeah. You know, like it was but done with the knowledge know? of somebody. It wasn't just done rogue, right? Yeah. How could how could they not know? Sorry, or as, or yeah. if as soon as it happened, a justice. Oh, I know who that is. Oh, that was my yeah. that was my gal. You know, but they're protecting. Yeah. I know it, the whole thing is fishy. Everything is fishy. We can't trust the government at all on any level, which is what a lot of this podcast is going to be about. So several gym rants are coming. <laughs> Sorry, uh, we do have a lot to talk about, so we should probably jump into it. Um, the uh, we briefly talked about the Inflation Reduction Act last week, and we promised that we would talk about it more this week. So before we get uh, Jim and Justin's deplorable take on this proposed legislation, uh, let's have the bill described by the Senate Democrats. So according to their official one-page summary, which appears to be laid out on Microsoft Word, 
The Inflation Reduction Act of 2022 will make a historic down payment on deficit reduction to fight inflation, invest in domestic energy production and manufacturing, and reduce carbon emissions by roughly 40% by 2030. The bill will also finally allow Medicare to negotiate for prescription drug prices and extend an expanded Affordable Care Act program for three years through 2025. The new proposal for the fiscal year 2022 budget reconciliation bill will invest approximately $300 billion in deficit reduction and $369 billion in energy security and climate change programs over the next 10 years. Additionally, the agreement calls for comprehensive permitting reform legislation to be passed before the end of the fiscal year. Permitting reform is essential to unlocking domestic energy and transmission projects, which will lower costs for consumers and help us meet our long-term emission goals. Uh, the, the paper, the one-pager, touts $739 billion in revenue raised by a 15% corporate minimum tax, increased IRS tax enforcement, and the elimination of the carried interest loophole. Investments totaling $433 billion in uh, energy security and climate change, Affordable Care Act extension, et cetera, et cetera. This all amounts to a total deficit reduction of $300 plus billion, all without having to increase taxes on families making under $400,000 while making the rich finally pay their fair share. So uh, we are going to get into some details about this bill and uh, kind of dissect this one pager here. But I just want to start off first with the name. And we all know this, but this might be the most important aspect to your average American. The Inflation Reduction Act. So this puts Republicans in a position where if they vote this down and inflation remains high, Democrats are going to have ammunition to blame Republicans. Oh, inflation is high? Well, the Republicans voted against the Inflation Reduction Act, so it must be their fault. So this is kind of similar. This made me think of the anti-price gouging bill that was proposed a few months back, and we talked about that. Republicans opposed that because A, it would do nothing to lower prices, and B, it would most likely make those problems worse. But that didn't stop all of social media to feel justified in blaming Republicans now for higher gas and grocery prices. So, Jim, I've always said that the left is great at linguistical battles. Uh, do you uh, care to comment on, on just the name of this bill? Well, it's the it's it's standard operating procedure in Washington. Uh, what was Obamacare's? What's Obamacare's official bill name? The Affordable Care Act. The Affordable Care Act. Now, is anybody listening to this podcast or watching this on YouTube? Do you are, have your healthcare premiums gone down in the ten years <laughs> that Obamacare was passed? No, it hasn't. If you own a small business and you provide healthcare to your employees. Has the cost of providing insurance to employees gone up or down in the last 10 years? It has skyrocketed. And so, yes, the 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 Inflation Reduction Act, everything in this bill, everything in this bill is going to increase inflation, increase economic um, malaise, and increase the cost of living for every American in the United States. Everything in this bill works toward that end. Uh, so it, it our only hope now, uh, you know, Manchin, caved and we can get into that. Um, he is he is not going to uh, people in West Virginia are very much against this bill. Uh, and he you know, there is a chance, I suppose, an outside chance that he may change his mind uh, and and actually vote against this when it when it comes up, because this will be happening in the next week to 10 days. 
And the last failsafe to to defeat what is basically build back Bolshevik light and lots of Green New Deal um, BS in this bill, as well as other stuff that will actually make inflation worse, worse is Kirsten Cinema. She has a, uh, you know, there's something called carryover interest that discourages, you know, you could tax it. It basically discourages manufacturers and, and other large cor corporations and companies from investing in their own businesses and encouraging growth. She's against, uh, she's against that. That's in this bill. Uh, the, the worry is that they'll just take that out and then everything else that's garbage in this bill will, will pass into law. So like, but she is still holding her, uh, you know, her, her decision on this bill close to the vest. She said, she'll announce it. You'll, you'll know my decision when I vote on the bill. So it's going to be a dramatic time in Washington, I suppose. Mm. But, uh, you know, th th that's the only chance th this thing is going to make a already horrible economic situation in the United States, not just a little worse, much worse. Yeah, Justin, I mean, Jim Jim brought up a couple of things that I do want to dive into uh, in a little bit more detail, but uh, ju just comment on kind of the, the political angling of just naming this thing the inflation reduction bill when like they fully admit that re reducing inflation is just kind of a part of this. It's actually just, you know, infrastructure and, and energy policy and all of that stuff. Yeah, it's uh, you, you. So Jim brought up uh, Affordable Care Act before. Um, and that was always that's common. That that's that's common when they come out with a, a, a name for a bill. They often slap some sort of a thing on it. They usually make it some cute acronym too, if they can figure out a way to do that. I guess they couldn't figure out how to do that this time the, around. The, the Patriot Act enough. is, a, the Patriot Act's a great example of that. As, as yeah, of fact. <laughs> ex exactly. And so they, they love to do this. This That's common. But this time, I guess what's different is that it really feels like a slap in the face with a sledgehammer this time. You know, because it's like, it's you expect... You expect Barack Obama to say, well, I'm going to pass a health care reform bill and it's going to be affordable health care. Like you expect him to say that. Right. Sure. But to then but to pass a infrastructure, I mean, to pass a, a bill that's clearly more of like a green infrastructure bill with some tax increases in it and then turn around and say this is inflation reduction while we're in the middle of an inflationary crisis. And this obviously has nothing to do with inflation is really just like a screw you to people like only people who are really, really ignorant or stupid or just believe everything that Joe Biden says, which I guess kind of falls into the two there's previous an categories. There, yeah. yeah, there's a lot of overlap there. I mean, would believe that. I mean, nobody believes this. Not even Democrats believe that the name is actually what this thing is all about. Right. So it really does feel kind of like a slap in the face. It, it, it would be sort of like if you passed a bill that said, you know, the Helping Poor People Act, except the bill was designed to just hand out loads of cash to rich people. And it's just <laughs> like, but it's the Helping Poor People Act. So I guess we all, it, it just feels a little worse this time around, I guess. I don't know. A little more yeah. insulted by it than usual. It, exactly. And I just, uh, you know, that if it gets voted down by some like miracle, this doesn't, this doesn't go through. Maybe it doesn't, won't take a miracle, but now, you know, like the, the, the Democrats will be primed throughout the primary or not primaries, the, the midterms or whatever to blame inflation, which will probably still be raging by then on Republicans. So that's exactly, that's what they're trying to do. They're putting themselves in a win-win situation. And the best way that we can combat that is just knowing the facts and the reality of it, that this isn't an inflation bill. Uh, but, you know, again, for your average American, 
the headlines kind of tell most of the story. So just wanted to point that out. I think that's probably going to be the most important aspect of this, just to your average person. And, and you know, they're, they're good at what they do when it comes to these linguistical battles. So uh, let's let's uh, let's let's address some low hanging fruit about this bill first. So, like I said, this is not an inflation bill. The one pager says multiple times. It's a one pager says multiple times that they're going to uh, decrease carbon emissions by 40 percent by 2030. But it never estimates how much inflation is going to be reduced. It's kind of interesting, right? I mean, I know that's a little bit harder of a thing to uh, to calculate, but they don't even attempt it. Um, so the best number that's being touted by the administration comes from Moody's analytics that suggests that the bill would lower inflation by 0.33 percentage points by 2031. So we covered wow. last, <laughs> yeah, we covered last, uh, last episode or maybe the episode before that, I think it was the last episode that the newest inflation numbers was what? 9.1%, 9.1%. So this bill in full effect in nine years from now would lower that 9.1% to what? 8.7. And I'm rounding in their favor. <laughs> so, so that's like, you know, if you don't need any more proof than that, that this is not an inflation bill and you might think, well, okay, well maybe this is a conservative estimate, you know, maybe there's some estimates uh, that are actually a little bit more rosy when it comes to inflation reduction. Uh, no, no, this is the number that's being touted promoted by the Biden administration officials. It's being retweeted by uh, by administration officials. And we even have a video of uh, of people referring to, in the administration, referring to this projection by Moody's as their proof that this is going to lower inflation. So let's go ahead and play uh, clip one there, Andy. University of Pennsylvania, Warden School, uh, doing a measure of this Inflation Reduction Act. It says, actually, it's not much of a reduction act at all. In fact, it may increase inflation marginally. Well, you know, economists have um, various models. You know, one of the things that we see is that they do not say that it's going to increase inflation. There's also new data coming out from Moody's.com this morning, from Mark Zandi, where he's uh, already indicated that his model actually does show that it will lean into inflation reduction. And here's the thing. Core parts of this legislation are going to give significant relief to families by continuing to extend the subsidies to health care through the Affordable Care Act. That, that will certainly help families that are struggling with costs. Giving the government the ability to negotiate over prescription drugs, that's going to help families with costs. And of course, all of the energy investments that are going to provide rebates to families who are looking to make that transition to clean energy, this legislation is going to lower those energy costs over time, make them less volatile. So it's difficult to imagine that this bill does not significantly support family economic security and help families cope with the high cost of living. Pause that and keep it on the screen. I love it. If, if people watching on TV, look at all those negative red numbers. Look, the Dow is down 46. I mean, every <laughs> every every uh, part of the market is like, oh, God, this is a disaster. And they're all down. So I love how they put that box in box on CNBC. Bravo. Wow. I'm glad that Aaron from like the late seasons of the office was able to get a job in the Biden administration. So that's a good thing. Yeah. But like, it's, it's pretty crazy that uh, the response to this idea that uh, the, the bill might actually increase inflation is no, 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 no. Moody says it's going to decrease it by 0.33 percentage points. That's quite a selling point. What do you think about this, Jim? <laughs> well, note that she didn't mention 
exactly how much Moody said. Uh, and by the That's way, these are all these are all projections. I mean, uh, you can either you can either go in a project and then the projections. Look, the reason they say that this is going to reduce inflation is because supposedly this bill would reduce the federal deficit by three hundred billion dollars uh, over ten years or nine years, I think it is. And reducing the deficit has a deflationary uh, effect. Has a deflationary effect on the economy overall. Um, but $300 billion, look, put it, let's put this in perspective. Uh, we already spent $1.9 trillion on the American Rescue Plan that Biden had in there. We spent another trillion dollars on the infrastructure bill. And now this thing is another $750 billion. And they're saying that inflation will not increase. The year Obama was elected, the entire federal budget was $3.7 trillion. And we went from $4.7 trillion just in 2019 before uh, the pandemic to now we, the, the latest uh, federal expenditures was $6.8 trillion. And I'm supposed to get excited about a reduction of the deficit by $300 billion over 10 years. And if it actually happens, if oh, you think that this is actually going to happen, you you deserve, <laughs> I don't know, you, should, you don't deserve to live in an economy this bad. But you have to open your mind and, and read and understand what's going on here. This is all smoke and mirrors, and it's a complete sham. The, the, the spending already, if you take them at face value, the spending far outpaces, and the spending is immediate, far outpaces any so-called deficit reduction. So the inflationary effects of the spending, which we have already experienced, the United States had higher inflation rate than any of our European, any of our uh, uh, peers in Western Europe. Why? Because they didn't pass a $2 billion rescue plan and another trillion dollar infrastructure plan immediately after doing all their COVID spending. That's why their inflation was lower than ours. Now, if you think that, you know, saving and it's the savings is never going to come, guys. It's never going to come. It never, ever comes. We don't ever reduce the deficit that way. The only way to do that is to grow the economy. Every time we have reduced the deficit or even run a surplus, it's because the economy grew faster than the smarty pants uh, economists thought it would, thanks to reducing government spending and lowering taxes and getting the economy going. That's how it always works. That's how it works every single time. So this idea that the government can control inflation and control economic growth by how much they spend in the economy, that's Keynesian bullcrap, and it has never been proven to work. So, you know... Actually, the, the clip goes on. I actually didn't find the clip because uh, Joe Kernan, I believe is his name from C, uh, CNBC, he went right at her with, uh, you know, real economics and said that, you know, you're full of crap. Uh, and she is. This entire thing is a complete sham. Uh, and again, as I said at the top of the podcast, if this passes, the economic pain we're feeling right now will be even worse. Mm. We're doing the exact opposite of what needs to be done to get this economy back in shape. Well, you know, what's funny is like even by the, the administration's own rhetoric, like this piece of legislation is not going to exist in a vacuum. So even if we do experience $300 billion in savings over the next 10 years or something like that, like they're also pursuing, Biden's also pursuing a potential like mass uh, forgiveness of student loans. Yeah, uh, the, the plan that's being floated <laughs> recently is like for everyone that's got student loans, it's like $10,000 in forgiveness. What's the cost of that? Is that is that going to outpace the you know the supposed savings that we're going to get? Is that going to counteract all of the inflation that we're supposed to be reducing with this bill? Like it's just like it's absurd just on its face, and that's just taking their words uh, at face value. You know, J Justin, feel free to weigh in on this. What do you think? Yeah, so I think that you know obviously this has nothing to do with inflation, uh, in, in in reducing inflation. That's that's 
apparent. No one is even when you talk about inflation, you don't talk about inflation 10 years from now in the future. Mm. <laughs> That's not how anybody talks about this. Uh, I think it's interesting that even in their framing of it, it's the Inflation Reduction Act. They're reducing inflation. That's right. what they're saying, right? But what we want is deflation from this point. We don't actually want inflation at all anymore because we've had two years of inflation that's been crazy high. And so their even their, their pie-in-the-sky promise is we're not going to go back to what it was two years ago or a year ago or six months ago. Those days are, that's over. The price right. increases 15, 20%, 25%, depending on how you want to measure CPI. All that stuff's here to stay. But 10 years from now, if we pass this bill, things will be slightly better than they would otherwise be, assuming no other changes in society or the world or other bills or other spending programs or anything other like that. I mean, Assuming none of that stuff happens, it'll be slightly, slightly, slightly better. But right. even in their best case scenario, they're not saying we're going to fix the damage we already caused. They're just saying we're going to stop the damage from getting worse, but just by a little bit and 10 years into the future. So that's that's just ridiculous. I, 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 will, I will say this, though. I, I, I think what they're trying to do, if, you, if you're actually going to look at what they're saying, and, and try to see, put the best spin on it for them. What they're saying is that they're going to, their prescription drug pricing reform thing, where they're, they're going to allow the government to negotiate drug prices, that's going to lower costs. So prices are going to go down in that area. When they say that they're going to... Um, you know, have uh, Affordable Care Act subsidies uh, are going to in uh, be ex extended, ones that were recently temporarily passed through the coronavirus relief uh, legislation, that that's going to keep prices of insurance premiums lower than they would otherwise be. So, I mean, while there is some truth to that, probably, okay, the cost of doing that is raising prices in other areas. And that's actually built into their own legislation, their own proposal. So for example, when they say that they're going to pay for this by having in part, having a 15% corporate minimum tax so that all corporations, regardless of the deductions they would otherwise have or tax credits they would otherwise have are going to play at least 15%. All right, put aside for a moment whether you think it's a good idea or a bad idea, but they'll pay at least 15%. That's a tax increase on some very, very large corporations that employ lots and lots of people, sell lots of products and goods and services. Well, that's right. going to more likely than not increase prices that those companies sell, right? Mm -hmm. So maybe drug prices for some people go down, but prices for all people that buy from these corporations go up, and it's all just part of the math that they're doing, right? Sure. The same, even, even the Affordable Care Act subsidies, when you give someone a subsidy so that the affordable, it creates distortion in the health insurance mm -hmm. marketplace, the insurance companies and hospital systems are then forced to raise revenues from other areas and all of this kind of offsets. Somebody pays it is the point that I'm trying to get at. So even their own legislation Somebody is paying for all of this in some fashion. So mm -hmm. what Democrats love to do, though, or what liberals love to do, and Democrats just happen to be lots of liberals in that party, <laughs> is they they love to sort of 
twist and turn the control panel of the economy in order to benefit this group over here and punish this group over there. And we're going to promote green energy, but we're going to destroy all these fossil fuel jobs over here in order to do it. And in the end, don't worry, we've got some academic study that says that there's a 0.11% increase in, you know, whatever in, 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 in our, uh, or decrease in inflation in 10 years. So it's all worth it. And and it's actually going to benefit everybody else. But how can anybody really know? <laughs> it's just more likely than not that if you just look at the past 20, 30, 40, 50, 100, 1,000 years of governments trying to put these policies in place, and you just look at the effects of them, you can see common sense should tell you that these things never, ever work the way they promise that they mm -hmm. work. Yes, some people will benefit from it. That's how government handouts and manipulations and cronyism works. In cronyism, <laughs> someone does benefit. That's right. The people benefiting from the cronyist arrangement benefit from it. And so do the politicians that get rewarded for having the cronyism. Right. But in general, most people are worse off and it creates lots of distortions and causes lots of big economic problems. And the only, the biggest, best proof of how the government's manipulation and control of the economy and getting involved in all of these things screws things up is the very inflation crisis that they claim that this bill is going to have a tiny little positive impact on in 10 years into the future. This is solely, completely, 100% the result of government interaction. They destroyed the economy on purpose by shutting it down. They printed more money than they have ever printed in the entire history of humanity uh, to pay for people to basically stay home mm -hmm. and have their jobs destroyed and not do any work at all for a year and a half or more. Uh, then they paid people to, as a stimulus package. They sent people checks in the mail who didn't even lose their jobs, even though the economy was closed and there was no place for them to spend it. So they just stuck it in the bank. Gee, maybe that is one of the reasons why we're having inflation problems. They printed tons and tons of money and then pumped it through central banks into corporations and the banking and financial sector, making all of those people really rich. But that money filters back into the economy, causes more inflation. The list goes on and on and on. The point is, the reason we have historic inflation, inflation we haven't seen in 40 or 50 years right now, is because the government has been meddling in the economy. So the solution to government meddling is not more government meddling. I don't right. know why people don't see that it should be common sense at this point but if we if if there was ever a perfect lesson for this it's what we've seen over the past 3 years the more the government gets involved the more the central banks get involved the more they manipulate and try to control things the more subsidies and the more uh, buyouts and handouts and welfare programs that they expand and all of that stuff the more they do those things the more they create distortions that have long-term detrimental effects on everyone. And that's what people are suffering from right now. So we need to stop doing that, go in a completely different direction, uh, like Calvin Coolidge did back way, way back at the beginning of the 20th century when he was dealing with an economic crisis and they actually cut government spending. Can you imagine that today when we have an a economic crash and you cut government spending as a way to help spur economic growth. That's what he did. And it led to the roaring uh, 1920s. So that's, that's what we need. We don't need more government screwing things up. We need less government screwing things up.
Yeah, so Justin, can you phrase that in a way that's as short as uh, we have inflation and, and voters and Republicans voted against the Inflation Reduction Act? No. Exactly. <laughs> but that's that's the position that we're in. You know, again, it's it's a rock and a hard place, unfortunately. But, well, uh, but you're absolutely right in everything that you said. You know, there's no doubt about that. These politicians don't like a free market or as free a market as can be in modern society because they can't control it. I mean, they don't like these energy subsidies are a great example of it. It's like, you know, oh, we don't like coal and natural gas. Uh, so we're going to tax the hell out of that. And we're going to take, you know, we're going to then we're going to subsidize energy that we do like. It doesn't matter whether it can actually provide energy for, for your uh, for your economy. This is what we want to do. And we will implement policies to punish economic activity that we do not personally um, favor or, for, you know, maybe financially favor because, you know, it's these green energy companies. It's a circulation of money between the subsidies and the donations to their own uh, campaign coffers. It's, 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 uh, you know, it's funny that the environmental left is always talking about, you know, like, oh, the dirted coal money's like Joe Manchin. He's just bought and paid for by big coal. It's like, well, you are in the constitution allowed redress of grievances to your government. But um, yeah, I mean, if I'm a coal company or I work uh, for a coal company, and, um, you know, 80% of my economy in the state of West Virginia depends on the coal industry. Yeah, I might uh, want to support politicians who will protect my industry from the green lunatics who are running agencies in the federal government and also in Congress in the federal government. But we had a um, uh, David Harsani is a friend of mine. He's a syndicated columnist. We run his column at Heartland Daily News. That's heartlanddailynews.com. Uh, I was looking at his piece. I think it's in the show notes. Uh, and he pointed out something that I'd forgotten about, which is really interesting. He said, hey, uh, actually, you guys, you remember when the Democrats and Biden and the administration were all saying that inflation is transitory? Uh, <laughs> and that was because they were trying to sell their $5.5 trillion Build Back Bolshevik plan uh, that had the Green New Deal in it and a bunch of other stuff in it. The reason they were saying that inflation was transitory back then is because they knew all that spending would be identified and, and picked out as being inflationary. <laughs> So they so they called it transitory, saying, don't worry about it. It's going to go away. It's going to go away. Let's go ahead and pass this big bill. So then when inflation didn't go away, they put about 75 percent of the same deal into this other bill and uh, call it the Inflation Reduction Act. So uh, if you're falling for this, um, you know, I got a used car that's that's rusting out, but probably worth thirty thousand dollars of your money uh, in the back parking lot over here. <laughs> yeah. So I want to race through a handful of things before we get into like what that bill actually is. And you already kind of mentioned some of that there, Jim. But uh, I, I keep referencing this. Uh, what was the Moody's analytics thing? The 0.33 percentage points reduction in uh, inflation in 10 years. Um, so that's, of course, not the only estimate out there. Uh, there's a couple more the, uh, projections that suggest that this has the potential to increase inflation. So I have an article here, uh, Andy, you don't have it. This is a, a late edition. This is from the Cato Institute talking about the Inflation Reduction Act. And the article talks about a couple of estimates, one by the budget modelers at Penn Wharton, which I think is the estimate that was brought up in that first clip that we played, where they, and another one by the Tax Foundation. So these estimates suggest that deficit reductions are going to be far more modest than that $300 billion in that uh, Senate Democrats one-pager that I mentioned. So the Penn Wharton one says that the expected deficit should be uh, reduction should be closer to $86 billion by 2031 at most. The Tax Foundation calculates that just 1% of the expected deficits uh, over the next decade should be expected. 
And then reading from it, it says both Tax Foundation and Penn Wharton find that the Senate bill would actually increase deficits in the first few years, increase deficits in the first three years, and thus have the opposite effect on inflation as the reduction promised by the bill's title. So the article says, but despite its name, the Senate bill would not reduce inflation because it would damage the supply side and hardly affect deficits at all. Um, so as Jim mentioned and, and Justin, that you know whatever rosy projections that these politicians put out uh, in regards to their proposed legislation, the reality always uh, uh, is outpaced by the projection. So you never see the deficit reductions as much as they're promising. You never see the revenue generation as high as they're promising, all of that. And we have another video that kind of highlights another criticism of the proposed legislation, and that is the idea that the Joint Committee on Taxation projects the effects of the legislation will increase the burden on people making well under $400,000 a year. So let's go ahead and play clip two. Is President Biden thinking about pulling his support for the Inflation Reduction Act? No. Because he promised it wasn't going to make, it wasn't going to raise taxes on anybody making less than four hundred thousand dollars a year. But the Joint Committee on Taxation says that is not true. Well, that is incorrect. So, the Joint Committee on Taxation, which you guys heralded as a, an effective body when you were selling that infrastructure package, is not to be trusted here. <laughs> I said it is not correct because. I will give you why it's not correct, because it is incomplete. Uh, the JCT uh, uh, report that we're currently seeing is incomplete because it omits uh, the actual benefits uh, that Americans would receive when it comes to pres prescription drugs, when it comes, comes to uh, the en lowering energy costs like utility bills. It does not include that. Yeah, no. Oh, gosh. See, that's 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 what I was saying. That's exactly <laughs> I what I was saying. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the argument. The argument is, well, these subsidies and these, uh, you know, handouts and stuff are going to benefit some are going to benefit people. So, yeah. So if you spend a ton on prescription drugs and you happen to take prescription drugs that will benefit from this arrangement and not all of them will, but some of them will then you're not building that into your inflation calculate. Well, that's because that's not how you calculate inflation. That's not how it works. So of course that's not what we're doing, but that's going to be the argument. The argument is right. we're going to give benefits to some people. And so any talk of reducing inflation has to include those benefits, but that would, that, but that's, that's ridiculous. I mean, if we just took uh, let's say that we, um, I don't know, passed a bill that gave, Everybody in America who is under six feet tall, a thousand dollars. Could right. you call that a reduction in inflation? Or you gave them a thousand dollars to buy groceries? Would that be a reduction in inflation? Because for those people, they're paying less on groceries. Well, sure. no, of course it's not. That's not how inflation. That's not how it works. That's how it works. <laughs> right. Of course it's not. But that's the argument they're going to make because, again, they think we're stupid, and some yeah, people it's... are. It's absurd. It really well, is absurd. Let, let's also remember what you know. This uh, is kind of getting glossed over, but the you know what's in this bill is is something that Democrats have wanted for a long time, which is basically giving the government de facto monopoly power to negotiate uh, prescription drug prices through Medicaid and Medicare. This is price controls. When have price controls ever worked? All that's going to happen is that you're going to have prescription drugs that are very important to a lot of people. Uh, we're a you know pharmacologically 
saturated culture in the United States. But all this going to do is going is to make uh, pharmaceuticals more scarce and more expensive. That's what price controls do to any product every single time. And so uh, that you can have that to look forward to. All the all the other good news in this bill. Yeah. Yeah. No. So let's talk about what the bill really, really is. Um, so we've got an article here from the Heartland Daily News, heartlanddailynews.com. Inflation Reduction Act or Radical Green New Deal. So this is a, a piece, an opinion piece that was written by Jack Spencer, who is a senior research fellow for energy and environmental policy at the Heritage Foundation. He says that this bill is mostly just a list of hundreds of pages of tax credit subsidies and regulations for the energy choices preferred by the D.C. elites, such as wind and solar, while increasing the cost to access more reliable, more abundant energy sources like gas and oil on federal lands. And I got another article here. Andy, you don't have this one, but it talks a little bit more in depth about this list of different subsidies and everything like that. It says the bill extends existing renewables, energy tax credits, production tax credits, and investment tax credits, and contains other important climate and energy provisions, standalone energy storage, biogas property, microgrid controllers, dynamic glass, and small interconnected facilities, um, uh, would become eligible for the investment tax credit. Bonus tax credits are available for certain projects located in the brownfield and coal mining communities for the small wind and solar projects placed in service in certain low-income communities. Bonus tax credits are also available for some investments if additional goals are met for domestic content and labor standards, which means prevailing wages and apprenticeships for creating yep. skilled jobs and blah, 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 blah. So it's just a laundry list of all these different handouts from the government to help uh, bolster the renewable energy sector and all of that stuff. So it's the same old story. But, you know, just to kind of, uh, you know, take a few bits out of uh, one of Justin's big rants there. It's like the government created this massive problem of inflation, and then they pretend like they're going to solve this massive problem of inflation by doing something that they've been wanting to do for a long time, just slapping the idea of inflation reduction on top of it. It's really insidious. Like if you didn't want to like prescribe just like ignorance to these people, like you have to subscribe malice to these people. Like this is this is like really, really underhanded. Like even by politician standards, it's underhanded. Uh, but Jim, um, oh yeah, one, one more thing that that was his name, Jack Spencer, um, whoever wrote that article. Mm -hmm. said that uh, that a more accurate title for this bill should be the Radical Green New Deal. So, mm -hmm. Jim, is that the sense that you get uh, when you uh, from the stuff that you've read and the energy and, and climate people that you've talked to? Well, yeah. Well, let's just put it this way. If John Kerry really loves this bill, uh, then you know it's really bad. Uh, and he really <laughs> likes this a bill. A good rule of thumb. <laughs> really? That's always a good rule of thumb. Yeah, he's like the uh, George Costanza of uh, American policy. <laughs> if John Kerry likes it, run in the other direction. Uh, look, in this bill, renewables get $30 billion in subsidies. And let's kind of get this out of the way right now. Uh, it's it's got it's a myth that it, you hear this from the environmental left all the time that, you know, we're we're providing subsidies to oil and gas industries. You know, we need to stop that. These so-called subsidies are the the deductions that an oil company or a coal company or a natural gas extraction company take to invest into their equipment. It's the basic write-offs every other business gets. Uh, the, the subsidies, if you want to call them that, but the tax breaks and all of that stuff, all the benefits to, to solar and to wind especially, are far and beyond those kind of basic uh, you know, basic 
business write-offs that that an oil and natural gas company should naturally have. That's how you encourage more investment, and then you actually raise more tax revenue from these people. But this bill raises the taxes on coal and natural gas producers. Uh, so it makes there's yeah there's a there's a chart here up on here. Uh, got this from the Texas Public Policy Foundation here up on YouTube. Federal subsidies per unit of electricity generated from 2020, 2010 to 2019. Solar is $82.46 uh, per unit of electricity generated. Oil and natural gas is 0 0.39, so 39 wow. cents, to put it that way, uh, subsidies per unit of electricity generated. So we are subsidizing energy that doesn't work. And you have to believe that this is the plan. I mean, they're taxing, they're, they're actually raising taxes in this bill on coal and natural gas companies, making it harder for them to get reliable energy out of the ground and into onto our grid so that we can keep our lights on and our air conditioning on and our heat on in the winter. Uh, uh, this is what the left has always wanted. They've always wanted to keep it in the ground. The keep it in the ground movement has never really ended. They're just finding other ways to do it. This bill is one way to get down that road. You keep subsidizing energy that doesn't work. You, you keep punishing the production of energy that does work and then you end up in utopia it's like the it's like the underpants gnomes from from south park it's like you keep skipping the middle part here and that's the thing that's so infuriating about joe manchin is that he came out last week he was so proud of himself i have come to a compromise you know this is the neville chamberlain kind of compromise he says i've always made you know i made sure that we're not just going to make this immediate transition into uh, into wind and solar, into so-called renewables, that we're going to be able to continue to still produce um, reliable energy while we transition to this new place. The environmental left and these people are laughing their heads off at that moron because he just got suckered and the rest of us are going to be suckered too. Uh, the energy grid is going to, is now, if this passes, the energy grid is going to be less reliable, a lot faster than we were already heading that way. Uh, in fact, you know what? They also uh, tax uh, import of crude oil as well. So if you think uh, Joe Biden and the Democrats care about how much uh, you're paying at the pump for gasoline, they don't. They're going to make that more expensive, too. This is such a disaster. Just about every bad idea in the massive Green New Deal is in here. They just kind of condensed it, boiled it down to the absolute worst and threw it in here. <laughs> Justin, before you before you say anything, we've got about 10 minutes left. And I really want to get to the <laughs> Ron DeSantis ESG stuff. So keep it brief. Uh, all, all I'll say is that and this is this is something we've we've talked about before, but it's just so important to re-emphasize this point that this entire debate about green energy is to transition to this massive new system that will, at best, provide us with exactly the same service we already have in exactly the same way. That's it. That's what it is. Sure. So that when I turn my lights on, they work. When I turn my television on, it works. The best case scenario is that we spend trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars so that everything stays exactly the same at exactly the same cost, except sure. we have to spend trillions of dollars to get there. Uh -huh. And the worst part is it's not going to. It's going to be much more expensive. But think about how insane it is that that's the debate we're having. Like, yeah. that's an insane debate to have. Totally right. insane. Yeah, well, I, I, I was... I had a couple of other things in my show notes here. There's a little like silver linings aspects to some uh, oil and gas leasing. There are some details in this bill, provisions in this bill that uh, are kind of interesting to discuss. But uh, for the sake of time, we're going to skip that. Also, a 15% minimum tax on corporations. Is that a good or a bad idea? I thought that might have been a good discussion. But again, 
for sake of time, we're going to skip that. Um, and because I, I want to get to this, uh, this other topic, this is uh, ESG related. So Justin, your biggest opponent in the last couple of years uh, has been the concept of ESG. You and Glenn Beck wrote uh, about this extensively in your book, The Great Reset, Joe Biden and the Rise of 21st Century Fascism. Check it out if you haven't seen that already. It's also over Justin's shoulder there. So hopefully at this point, uh, we don't have to cover yet again what ESG exactly is. If you want a basic primer on this, we have several videos about it on Stopping Socialism TV on YouTube. But we've also talked about how ESG was able to gain so much ground because it largely flew under the radar for years and years. So with the release of the book, as well as all the work that the Heartland Institute has been doing to expose ESG for what it is, a way to centrally control the economy, it is finally starting to catch on. So when Florida Governor Ron DeSantis comes out like a week or so ago and bashes ESG, you must have been pretty excited, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think this is a huge, huge uh, a win for not just the Heartland Institute. That's really not that important if it's a big win for us. It's more important that's a big win for America, Jim. Put the people first. Um, I, I think that ESG is truly one of the biggest threats to individual freedom and free markets and, and, and business freedom that America has faced in a very, very, very long time. I do not say that lightly. I really do truly believe this. It is essentially a social credit scoring system designed to put elites and financial institutions and central banks and government in charge of virtually everything in society through corporations and the products and goods and services and things like that, that they can offer. Um, and so, and, and what you can say on social media platforms and what sorts of books Amazon sells There's all kinds of things that are related to ESG. And the more it expands, the more dangerous it's going to become. And so to see someone of the stature of Ron DeSantis come out strongly opposed to ESG saying in effect, the state is, the state of Florida is not going to send public funds to uh, people who are promoting ESG, to support ESG investments and things like that, uh, which is common sense because it's bad for Florida's economy. So why would you deliberately undermine your own economy by funding ESG? But that's exactly what's been going on. And to say that we're um, that in Florida, banks and financial institutions, which have a tremendous, tremendous amount of power, um, are not going to be able, uh, not just banks, but credit card companies, money transmitters like PayPal, all those kinds of uh, companies are not going to be able to discriminate against customers on the basis of their religion or their politics or their social beliefs. I think that is is absolutely huge. I do wish there was more included in it. And we can get into that probably in another time because we're running out of time here. Um, I, I do think that there could be more done in it. It doesn't do enough. Uh, there's more work to be done on this, but the bill hasn't actually been formally proposed yet. So hopefully by the time it does get formally proposed, it'll be a, a little bit better than the proposal that he's been putting out so far. But regardless of all of that, it is, it is huge that someone like Ron DeSantis and the state of Florida, because there are a lot of lawmakers in Florida too, who are already signed on to this, big believers in it. They've been working really hard on, on uh, putting together legislation for this. So this is a huge, huge win. And if Ron DeSantis runs for president, and there's a pretty good chance that he will, uh, there is a high likelihood that this could end up in an actual presidential platform. And that would be massive for exposing the country to this, to this mm -hmm. issue. We are, we are on a trajectory that is 
what I thought was sort of the best case scenario right. trajectory a year and a half ago when you and I, Donnie, would would have these phone calls. Nobody knew what ESG was, basically, no except for insiders and Klaus Schwab, you know, his assistant. <laughs> right. um, and we would have these conversations like, how are we, what's the best case scenario in all of this? And we're sort of living that out. I mean, we literally said to each other at one point, getting it into a presidential platform is is one of the best case scenarios because I, if it becomes part of that it could actually become federal law at some point that's how you elevate an issue and we're seeing that play out in record time absolutely right. incredible right esg is is the backbone to the great reset which we've been talking about for years yeah. now and i i like i think you understated like the the conversations that you and i had over the phone because i'm pretty sure we very specifically said like wouldn't it just be amazing if ron DeSantis like ran, ran for president we did and he like used you know the anti-esg stuff was like part of his like uh platform for his campaign <laughs> like we were getting close to that possibility man yeah we we're getting very close jimmy you're gonna say something yeah i i think that this as discouraging as it can be and i get grumpy gosh there's there's a news flash looking at what's happening in Washington, D.C., especially with this bill, what Ron DeSantis is proposing can be proposed all over the country. In fact, it is being proposed all over the country. You can fight back at ESG on all sorts of levels in all sorts of localities. Um, Justin, a New York Times reporter has reached out to the Heartland Institute because they have identified us as one of the leading organizations informing uh, local and state governments and government state government officials on how they can fight this ESG mad, uh, madness. Uh, we ha we have been, for instance, something you wouldn't even think of. The treasurer of a state, uh, the treasurer of the state of Utah and the treasurer of the state of West Virginia. Um, I can't speak to Utah because I don't know quite what the what has just happened recently. But just last week, the treasurer in West Virginia, after legislation was passed in the state legislature, said, okay, great. Uh, if you are a bank that is uh, puts ESG as a priority instead of your fiduciary duty, you're not doing any business with any state entity in West Virginia. Uh, I know Ron DeSantis has talked about this. He even talked about it, I think I saw in the context of, you know what, if Florida did that and Texas did that and joined West Virginia and then maybe Utah, uh, that starts to have a real impact. That turns into trillions of dollars of assets from these big banks like, like Vanguard and BlackRock that they have to start taking seriously. So it doesn't, it would be great if ESG and battling ESG was part of a presidential campaign and part of the, uh, you know, the Republican Party's platform, I suppose, or Ron DeSantis' platform. But it doesn't have to. That's not the only avenue to get something done. You could do this on the state level. The Heartland Institute is doing this on the state level. And uh, watch your local New York Times story, which is probably going to be a hit piece on Heartland uh, any day now. Yeah, and and I, I would argue, really, you we can't afford to wait for this to be resolved at the federal level because a, there's no guarantees that it ever will be. B, um, we've seen, I mean, we're still waiting for free market healthcare reform. When's that happening? We've been waiting for that for a long, long time. So if you, if you rely on the federal government to get the job done for you, whether you're on the left or on the right, you're going to be sorely, sorely disappointed. The, the, the we, we hope that Congress is paying attention to this Republicans in Congress. We hope that presidents are paying attention or future presidents are paying attention to this, whether that's Ron DeSantis or somebody else. But at the end of the day, um, I really don't think that um, we could have hoped for anything better than what's been going on with this. We have two dozen states paying attention to this. Treasurers, two dozen treasurers roughly paying attention to this issue. We've got 
uh, potential presidential candidates paying attention to it. We have uh, the New York Times calling us up on the phone, asking for us writing stories about what's been going on with this issue, all on a topic that nobody cared about a year and a half ago. And, Not and, because it didn't matter, but because people didn't know. And that's, I mean, just incredible. And and if you like work this way back, it's like, yes, you can, you can attribute this to, uh, you know, like politicians at the, at these state levels and, and now even higher up levels, like a, a noticing that this is like uh, acknowledging that this is like a terrible thing that we have to fight back against. You can go a step back further and say like the work of the Heartland Institute to get these uh, people at this state level to acknowledge that this is terrible and fight back against it. You can go back even further to, you know, like Justin and I kicking these things or uh, this idea around and, and, you know, working with Glenn Beck on this book to make this thing a little bit more higher profile. But that all stems from the World Economic Forum themselves repeating this term, the Great Reset, over and over again. It was an unforced uh, fumble uh, error on their on their end. Keep repeating this very insidious, conspiratorial-sounding yep. <laughs> phrase, the Great Reset, which alerted you to it. And then that was the start of all of this. <laughs> so it's yeah, like, pretty crazy. <laughs> pretty crazy. We have I to mean, mention that. We have to mention that. Yeah. But yeah, the, marketing matters, people. Marketing they, they, matters. They li they live in a complete bubble. They yes, they've been, they they're probably using the Great Reset terminology for twenty years before anybody heard it in the last right. five years. Yeah, yep, yep. All right, that music means that we are out of time. It actually means that we're uh, long on time here. So I want to thank you all for tuning into this episode of the In the Tank podcast. Again, for those audio only listeners that are catching this on a Friday, join us live on Thursdays at noon on YouTube and Rumble and Twitter and Facebook or wherever. You can put in your comments. Maybe we'll show your comments on the screen. Maybe we'll address your questions on the fly if you'd like you can follow us on twitter at in the tank pod if you have any comments questions or suggestions for the show feel free to email us at in the tank podcast at gmail.com jim lakely where can the fine people find you at j lakely on twitter at heartland inst on twitter and always visit heartland.org justin haskins same question at justin t haskins on facebook twitter parlor getter and everything else under the sun Fantastic. All right. Thank you all for tuning in. We will talk to you next week.